This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. In troubled times, there is an urgency to understand ourselves in the world. We have so many questions, and they tug at us night and day, consciously and unconsciously. In the important volume that just came out, The Art of Living, by Thich Nhat Hanh, who is one of the most revered spiritual leaders in the world today, it reveals an art of living in mindfulness that helps answer life's deepest questions and experience the happiness and freedom that everyone desires. I was quite surprised, frankly, when I received this book in the mail from HarperCollins, and I thought to myself, am I going to be able to interview Thich Nhat Hanh? That would be quite a feat, actually. Well, it turns out that uh, the revered monk is not doing interviews at this time. But we're very happy to have Brother Fop. He is a Dharma teacher with the Unified Buddhist Church. He is a disciple of Thich Nhat Hanh. And we are speaking to him today from his monastery in France. So we welcome Brother Fop to Common Threads. Hello, Brother. Yeah, thank you, Fred. Thank you, Fred, for having us uh, join you on your wonderful uh, program. Certainly, certainly. Um, so... Brother Fop, if you uh, if you could, in the foreword of the book, I notice that, uh, and oh, by the way, we're going to be referring uh, much of the time today to Thich Nhat Hanh as Tay, because that is a, a name of reverence for him, correct, uh, Brother Fop? Yes, it simply means uh, teacher in uh, Vietnamese. Yes. So, in the foreword of the book, uh, it talks about the various adversities that Tay has undergone. And among them, it mentions betrayal. And I found that very curious. Can you speak to that, Brother Fop? What, what uh, uh, forms of betrayal has, uh, has Tay had to suffer through? Yes, uh, during his time, uh, you know, there's there was a war happening in his country and people that the Buddhists were close to are uh, common people, country people, and they wanted peace no matter how you get to it. But it seems like the foreign uh, elements and uh, people, uh, people, the Communist Party wanted to continue to uh, engage in war. So actually having to go outside and speak for peace is quite dangerous. And people would turn against that kind of movement. So asking for the end of war was quite dangerous at that time because of the uh, political and uh, military you know, entities wanting to continue that war. And so it, uh, in a way, people you know, betrayed the country in that way. That's true. He experienced a lot of suffering in that, in that sense. Certainly. And we should talk about this for people who are not familiar with Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, he was a monk 
who was very upset about the war in Vietnam during the 60s. His first book was about the war. And he experienced, well, he was a tremendous voice for peace. And certainly he, as we're talking about right now, he certainly had to suffer for being that voice of peace. What was his... What was his uh, understanding or opinion of American involvement in the Vietnamese War? Yes, it's a very basic, uh, uh, you know, war is not caused by uh, you know, kind of people. It's a kind of misunderstanding or wrong perception that we have of each other. We give it names like communism, we give it names of uh, uh ISIS and so on, and we create an enemy. And for Thai, for our teacher, the actual enemy is our wrong perception, our uh, mis- you know, calling people and demonizing people. But we're all basic human beings, so so that's what he was speaking. So it's not one side or the other, but seeing that the nature, the enemy of man, and that was his famous... Uh, People, he's often quoted for saying that the enemy is not man, but it is ignorance, it is wrong perception. It is, you know, it's the machine that tries to keep people separate and calling them by different names and demonizing them so we can, you know, continue the violence. So that's the, the revolutionary thing of Thai, not to take sides, but to say that, you know, hey, you know, we are all humans, and we all want to live, and we need to come together and listen. And there's a better way to do this than violence. What did Thay think of the Buddhist monks in Vietnam who were immolating themselves? Did he support that, or did he speak against it, or have no opinion? He did uh, write a letter to Martin Luther King to uh, explain that, actually, that uh, you know, when the country, the poor countries don't have a way to speak out, that sometimes uh, there's a way of communicating to the world uh, the atrocity, the violence that's happening to the country. So the immolation, the self-immolation is not an act of uh, mm, suicide, but is an act of compassion. And it's, it's the celebration of life and getting people to look and say, look, we want to live. And so this man, this monk, you know, made that act out of not a despair or, or you know, that dead end, but actually out of compassion and more proactive. And he knew exactly what he was doing, and it was not uh, out of darkness and despair that he did it, but out of compassion. And that brought attention. So sometimes... The way we communicate, you know, people can do that. So our teacher didn't condone it or not, but explained that, you know, there's sometimes the means of communication needs to be pretty radical. And that's what people uh, came down to. That's all they had in terms of means because the, the politics and the, uh, the media was quite uh, very politicized. They present only a certain aspect just to continue the military uh, uh, machine. 
And it's interesting that, well, a couple of things are interesting. First of all, as I'm sure you know, that that tactic is being used by Buddhist monks uh, uh, in Tibet or outside of Tibet to protest uh, China's uh, imperialism over Tibet. Uh, and, right. Yeah, yeah. And also it is interesting that <clears throat> we have we have a presence of suicide as a tactic for calling attention to a particular uh, concern. But in the Buddhist sense, at least the, the person who is committing the act is the only one who perishes, which is uh, different from other um, radicals. Uh, t- right. uh, uh, by the way, uh, uh, how old is Tay right now? Tay is 90, 90, that's, 90 years old. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the picture of Tay that is on the cover of this book, The Art of Living, can you tell us yes. how, how old he was when, uh, approximately how old he was when this photo was taken? Is this, this a recent? Picture? Yeah. It's probably five years ago. That's amazing. It's a uh, very recent picture. Yeah. Uh, uh, anyone who picks up this book, The Art of Living by Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, I, I think we'll be impressed. He looks like he could be a man in his 40s. Uh, and, and you're telling me that he's 90 now, So, and you're saying that at the, uh, at the farthest back, it was 85 when he had this picture taken. No, that's... Uh, he, he is living right. He is living right. Yes. yes. Uh, this, is, uh, this picture was taken in Plum Village and... Yeah. If you've seen him, that is a usual comment of our teacher that he does look younger than he. You know, that's what you uh, the, the 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 product of being in, in meditation and in, in monastic life for uh, sixty years. And yes, yes. Uh, tell me this. So you are a part of the Unified Buddhist Church. Could you explain what is the Unified Buddhist Church? How does it differ from other schools of, of Buddhism? Um, Unified Buddhist Church actually is just a very uh, kind of like legal entity, but uh, we're more known for Plum Village uh, and uh, Plum Village tradition, and that's more uh, that's probably more correct. But we use uh, UBC uh, more for logistics and legal matters in the U.S. and uh, abroad. Mm. But uh, this, uh, our teacher, the the, the quality, uh, the characteristics of our community in terms of Buddhism is uh, engaged Buddhism, and this is what our teacher is well known for for uh, bringing the Buddhist practice outside of the temple and engaging society and making it relevant and uh, affecting society, not in the, the religious way, but a very practical and daily. Uh, uh, in uh, our daily lives and the lives of the people, whether that's in work and family, in uh, politics, in business. So this is uh, a kind of uh, a branch of uh, Buddhism called engaged Buddhism. But now I think our teacher even calls it uh, applied Buddhism most recently, as in like uh, applied chemistry or applied physics. So Buddhism is not something you find in books or in you know university, but it is a, a, a method of practice that helps relieve suffering 
outside of monastery, outside of temples, in everybody's daily lives. So this is what he's uh, done in his whole life to actually renew Buddhism and to make it uh, uh, relevant in people's lives. And I'm assuming that uh, aside from monks and nuns, that you have a significant lay community. I'm sorry. I, I'm saying that. Can you repeat that? Uh, yes. Uh, that I'm assuming that aside from having monks and nuns involved in the monastery, that you also have right. a significant lay community, family members. That's, that's right. We uh, we have retreats. We have monasteries with lay women and lay men staying with us in America as well as in Europe, in Asia. And this is also one of Thay's uh, uh, legacy that he's brought the Sangha as an emphasis Usually it is very hierarchical between the monastic and the lay, but he has built a whole system of lay uh, practitioners, including Dharma teachers, which we call the order of interbeing. So Thay has merged and uh, uh, he's learned a lot from being in the West and uh, adapting very democratic uh, spirits into the Buddhist uh, world. So lay people and Monks and nuns, lay women, lay men, call the Fofo Sangha. And I, throughout his life, has built that. And that, that will be his masterpiece, build the Sangha, the community of the Buddhist. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella, and with me today is Brother Fop. He is a Dharma teacher with the Unified Buddhist Church and a disciple of Thich Nhat Hanh. And today we are speaking about Thich Nhat Hanh's latest book, The Art of Living. Um, yes, it's interesting because in my work, of course, I speak to people from a variety of traditions. And I have found that one of the things that the West has imported to the East uh, uh, in, in recent decades is the structure of its religious institutions, that more and more people from the East, that is Hindus, Buddhists, Jains, Sikhs, uh, Taoists, wh- whatever they are, that they, they are tending to reflect upon what the West has, has provided as an example, such as um, more lay leadership, more lay participation, and also uh, social engagement. And I think that's a wonderful thing. So, uh, Brother Fop, what are the three doors of Buddhism that uh, are written about in the book? Yes, the three doors is uh, emptiness, signlessness, and aimlessness, which are the, I guess you call the ways for us, uh, keys, we call them, that, we, that can help us uh, liberate ourselves. And emptiness here is a yes. Oh, I was going to say a lot of people in the West seem to think that emptiness means nothingness, and that the the two right. terms are confused. So, if you would uh, speak a little bit about emptiness and also compare it to nothingness. Yes, emptiness is uh, quite misunderstood as nothingness, but here emptiness is uh, empty of a separate self entity. Uh, an example, a famous example that our teacher uses, uh, when you look into a flower, the flower is empty of its separate flower element. In fact, 
the flower cannot exist without the sunshine, the rain, the earth, the people who plant the flowers. So all those elements come together and make that flower. You remove any of those elements, like the sunshine, out of the flower, then the flower will not be there in that way. So that we say that flower is empty of itself, separate entity existence. So it's dependent on those conditions and countless and unlimited, uh, numerous, uh, numerous conditions in the universe. So it's not, it cannot exist alone, separate from other conditions. So it is empty of its flower, separate flower self. So in that sense, we humans as well. So, but that doesn't mean uh, that the flower is not there. The flower is there, but it is there because of all these supporting conditions. Just like we as human beings, we don't have a self. We are empty of a self because we are a continuation of our ancestors. We are a continuation of the carrot, the water, the minerals, the things that nourish us, our ancestors. So we don't just come from, uh, you know, we just don't, you know, appear out of nothing. We are a continuation. We call it a manifestation uh, of these conditions. So, and we are here. There is a self, but it is not a separate self, uh, separate from all the other conditions. So emptiness here doesn't mean that you don't exist or you don't, that there's nothing here, but you are here dependent, interdependent into being with all the other conditions. And this is the cream of the Buddhist teaching, which our teacher calls into being, that everything is interconnected and then nothing is outside of each other. And it is very in line with the current science, with the quantum physics and all so on. And this is what we are finally discovering. And it is the illusion of a, a separate self that has caused a lot of trouble because we don't see our interdependence with the other elements of Mother Earth, of the mountains, uh, the sky, the clouds, the water. And so we treat it as not us. So these elements are us. And we're so proud, you know, uh, as a self, as a human, that we, we have caused harm to our uh, non-human, uh, our non-self elements. So emptiness here is actually a door that can help liberate us and bring us to more harmony with Mother Earth, with other human beings. We need other people. And I think it's an appropriate teaching now with a lot of conflicts between groups, between people. So the teaching of emptiness is very appropriate for our time. And uh, the other two doors? Yes, the door of signlessness. This is another teaching that's related to emptiness because... uh, we look at a flower and we are easily fooled that it is, uh, we just see the flower, but we don't see all the other elements. Like we see the sun, but we don't see the father. So these are the things that cause suffering. The sinusness is being able to see the sun and seeing the father, the mother, and all of his ancestors in that person. 
so we're not caught by the sign. And this is uh, because the son is there because of all the conditions, including the mother and the father. So when we are able to see beyond that, we uh, we don't get caught. For instance, like a cloud, we are easily caught by the cloud, and we let's say we get uh, uh, infatuated with the cloud, and we get attached to it. And when the cloud disappears and becomes rain and falls, and we suffer because we no longer see the cloud. But in fact, the cloud is, is still there. It's in the atmosphere. It's in the streams. It is in the lakes. So these are very uh, ways for us to help us look. These, these are not concepts uh, that we believe in or don't believe in, but they're actually... They're called doors of liberation. They are they are concentrations that help guide the way we look at things. We call in Buddhism in Buddhism right view to see that uh, to look with the eye of signlessness is to see that your father is still is alive in you, whether he's physically there or not. he is in every cell of your body. So we we. Again, it's related to the non-self and to the emptiness of a, a separate self. So we, uh, it's a training. It is not something, uh, uh, what we call the, uh, matter of fact. It's actually counterintuitive. And that's why we struggle with it because our, our tendency is to get caught, you know, oh, the cloud. I'm missing my cloud. Where is my cloud? But the cloud is there. So this is uh, another door of liberation that can help us uh, suffer less and to see the true nature of reality. Mm. The third sign is very related. So all these three uh, doors are interconnected. The third uh, door is aimlessness. And so when you know this truth, you uh, you know you don't put uh, these. Uh, entities and you try to uh, grasp at it so it liberates you from uh, wanting uh, your mm, mm, these objects in front of you so this is uh, in Buddhist practice we don't put something in front of us to run after because that very thing that we are running after it is un- in us it's like the way and the ocean. The wave wants to be, you know, to move on and to touch uh, its uh, suchness. But the wave is already water. And this is what uh, uh, aimlessness uh, helps us. It's not, not to put like an object, uh, a goal in front of us and run after. Because those things are in us. All those things that we want uh, are already there. You mentioned, or not you, but uh, uh, Tay, the the author of The Art of Living, says that there is life even in inert matter. That might be a little hard for the average Westerner to wrap the mind around. Can you uh, expand on that a bit? Yes, the the non-human element, the inert uh, matter. This is something that has caused a a lot of... uh, we, we are so proud uh, of things that are alive, and what we call what is alive and what is not is uh, uh, needs to be re-looked at. Um, for instance, uh, the minerals, we, we say, oh, they, it's not really alive, but actually the minerals come inside of us, and they are part of us. 
So they're very, uh, uh, they're part of the life process. So Mother Earth, if you look at Mother Earth as an entity, you know, everything is alive on this planet. Everything has its consciousness and it's doing things beyond what we can sense and what we know. And this is what we're discovering with the whole climate, that there are other rhythms happening with the minerals, with the mountains, with the ice, the glacier, that is that is life, that is sustaining life. So the way we have dissected and divided what is living and what is not, what is spirit and what is not. And you look at a plant, we used to think that plants don't have consciousness, but look at the way it turns towards the sun and it moves, or how a broccoli multiplies and knows what to do. Or you look at a grain of seed and you think, oh, but it has spirit, it has a mind, it knows what to do. So I think that's a, a, a kind of a, a reframing. We need to retell uh, the stories so that we can regain the reverence to all that is on this planet and in the cosmos. Because it is this you know, fundamental division between what is life and not that has caused us to disrespect. Uh, these are the elements that we call non-human, non-living. But in fact, they're all very interconnected. Without any one of these elements, this planet wouldn't be as uh, it is. The air, the oxygen, the atmosphere. So I think the, the, the science, the, the way we have uh, uh, divided things, have caused a lot of disharmony to uh, the, 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 the spirit of our planet. And you can see that in uh, the human beings as well, uh, a kind of disrespect for uh, the spirit in the, uh, the, the mountain. So we can actually carve a mountain and see that it's okay. But that is not. That is actually harming our own spirit. So these non-human, non-spirited things are very essential to our own being own existence well, again uh, the interbeing spirit of what is uh, innate, uh, what is uh, uh, living and what we you know, uh, inert uh, uh, spirit well brother fop we are out of time right now but i want to thank you so much for being with us here on common threads yes thank you fred for uh, having us and uh, wish you well Certainly. Thank you. And I understand that next week we will be continuing our conversation with a colleague of yours, Sister Dedication. Uh, I look forward to that. So, uh, Thank you. Certainly. You've been listening to Common Threads on WGVU. I'm Fred Stella. We've been discussing The Art of Living, the latest book by Thich Nhat Hanh, and we've been discussing this with uh, Brother Fop. He is a Dharma teacher with the Unified Buddhist Church. Please join us again next week here on Common Threads. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. 
In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads. This is Common Threads, an interfaith dialogue. Fred Stella, President of the Interfaith Dialogue Association. Welcome to another edition of Common Threads. Last week, we spoke about The Art of Living, the latest book by the revered Vietnamese Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh. We spoke with one of his disciples, Brother Phap, from France. Uh, he is a Dharma teacher at the Unified Buddhist Church. This week, we thought we would get a different perspective that of a nun with the Unified Buddhist Church, also from France. And so we have on the line a woman who has taken as her monastic name, when translated into English, is Sister Dedication. She is a Dharma teacher. She is a young Dharma teacher and has been following the path of Thich Nhat Hanh for the last 10 years. And so we're going to continue our conversation with the fascinating book, The Art of Living. Welcome, Sister Dedication. Thank you so much, Fred. It's wonderful to be with you. Um, so we had a, a, a great uh, great chat with uh, your colleague, uh, Brother Fop, uh, last week. And so I'm just going to continue on with some of the questions that came to me while I was reading the book. Um, one of the things that is mentioned a few times in the book is calligraphy. And it it, uh, it seems like calligraphy is not just an art form, but is an actual spiritual practice. Uh, could you could you speak to that and uh, tell us where does the spirituality come into the practice of calligraphy? Mm. Mm. So I teach that every act in our daily life is an art form. And I think that's probably why the book is called The Art of Living. And for him, one of the most beautiful ways to express this is in the practice of calligraphy. And uh, so for us, the spiritual dimension, I think in the Christian tradition, we speak about ha having the energy of the Holy Spirit in us. 
And for us, the energy of mindfulness is equivalent somehow uh, to that uh, sacred energy. So when we are fully present with our body and mind, with whatever we are doing, whether we are cutting the carrot, whether we are brushing our teeth, or whether indeed we are drawing a calligraphy circle or even uh, a calligraphy phrase, it's our presence that brings the energy of spirituality to whatever we are doing, the quality of our presence. And we can make every act of our daily life into something sacred. For us, we say the energy of mindfulness um, brings us in touch with the ultimate dimension. So for your Christian listeners, it connects us with God. When we are fully present to the wonder of life as we open the faucet and see the miracle of water flowing out of the tap, we can say that we are connected to the miracle of life that somehow water represents. And we touch uh, our own life kind of beyond space and time. We touch the gift of life. So whatever we do, and I think this is um, uh, my brother last week, he mentioned that our practice is really applied. It's something we live in our daily life. And that's really something our teacher has contributed to the world with his teachings. So maybe not all of us are calligraphy artists who can pick up a brush and some ink and enjoy um, putting it to paper, but we may be artists in, in other ways, the way we take care of plants in our house, the way we um, prepare a meal for our family, uh, the way we walk to work. So every aspect of our life, we can express that creativity, that reverence. It's interesting because when I think of religion and calligraphy, uh, most of the time, what uh, occurred to me was uh, thinking about Islam. Uh, they also practice calligraphy as well. I, I'm guessing you might know that. Um, and and it did occur to me that, yes, I do remember that, uh, that calligraphy is a Buddhist practice as well. Uh, and I think it would be a wonderful dialogue to have between Muslims <laughs> and Buddhists about calligraphy. <laughs> Uh, uh, mm. Just something that that occurred to me. Uh, one thing that I wanted to, to mention. So you are a nun with the Unified Buddhist Church, and what I find interesting is that when Buddhism started becoming more popular in the West in the last uh, fifty years or so, uh, maybe even sixty years, uh, th- there was uh, this. I think there's there was this myth that Buddhism, uh, as as practiced in the, the various countries where it is predominant, did not have the social challenges that the Western religions, particularly Christianity and Judaism, had. And one of those, one of the myths, I believe, was that there was no such thing as any hierarchical issues or, or uh, issues of sexism. And as we started learning more and more about Buddhist societies around the world. We found that that wasn't necessarily true, that women can have challenges in Buddhist society as much as they can in Western societies. Um, and the vision, knowing that Thich Nhat Hanh is quite a visionary, I'm just curious if he is, if he has a reputation of breaking down those walls uh, of gender uh, that have kept Buddhist women in a particular role. And uh, if if you are aware of how he grew that movement. 
Uh, thank you for this question. It's wonderful to be able to speak to this. Um, yes, our teacher has suddenly opened up the doors for an incredible, incredibly alive, uh, um, I'm hesitant to say equality between the monks and nuns, um, because we try not to compare. But I think he has opened up every door of practice that is there for the monks is also there for the nuns. And as I was sharing, we live together in a what we call a fourfold community, and we, um, the nuns, we um, are autonomous. So that's um, a wonderful thing for a women's community to be able to make decisions for ourselves. And we live and practice and teach um, alongside the monks, who are also autonomous from us. It's the the best kind of um, independence from one another and the freedom to uh, uh, create a spiritual life that is um, adapted uh, to our nature. In the Buddha's time, some of the Buddha's most um, um, successful disciples uh, who were able to realize awakening were also bhikshunis, fully ordained uh, women. And uh, we're happy to be able to say that in our community, uh, we also have a large number of fully ordained uh, bhikshunis who become Dharma teachers and who offer teachings to the whole community, uh, most notably Sister Chang Kong, so our most senior nun. Uh, Sister Chang Kong has been supporting our teacher and has engaged Buddhist peacework and social activism for over 60 years. And so we are very lucky to have her as an, as an inspiration for us, um, as a, a wonderful uh, spiritual example. And uh, I think it's quite uh, precious to have a female spiritual leader for young women uh, like myself to be able to uh, take as an inspiration. You said it was a fourfold community did you did you not yes yeah, so when we say fourfold um that means that the the monks and nuns uh the monks live in the the monks hamlet and they live alongside um men who are not ordained they're young men who come here to work on our vegetable farm to live and practice meditation alongside us that's the twofold male sangha and then the twofold female sangha that we also live alongside women who are not ordained, who have not made a commitment to be celibate, to shave their heads, to wear a robe, and to follow our our vows, our, our precepts. And so we do, we live in, in harmony together as what we call this fourfold sangha. So we're very open and engaged with society. We're not sort of shut off behind, behind walls. Um, um, and we don't sort of hide ourselves in the forest. There's also the forest tradition in Buddhism of those who um, live a life of recluse in seclusion and silence and contemplation, whereas we really live alongside society, and our practice centers reflect that. So if some of your listeners want to visit our monasteries in America, Blue Cliff Monastery in New York, Magnolia Grove in Mississippi, or Deer Park Monastery in California, they have a chance to join this uh, this dedicated uh, community of monks and nuns and, and see for themselves and access everything that we're doing. They practice sitting meditation alongside us, uh, eating meditation, walking meditation, and we really live with that community. Our teacher uh, really wanted to create environments of practice where people can touch this deep spiritual dimension that really is uh, described in his book, The Art of Living. And that spiritual dimension is available to us all, and you can get a taste of it by visiting our monasteries. And especially for young women, it can be fascinating to encounter uh, the nuns. That was my experience. I came to the monastery and was delighted to meet these remarkable women who had chosen to become nuns. 
Wonderful. In the book, The Art of Living, uh, uh, Tay, and by the way, last week we mentioned that uh, occasionally we would refer to Thich Nhat Hanh as simply as Tay, which which means teacher. So in the book, uh, Tay spends a little bit of time talking about afterlife or the, the purpose of death. And uh, so every religion has something to say about death, about afterlife. And there is always a purpose to death across the board. And supposedly, this makes us free of fear. But I find that fear of death, of course, I find that that really isn't the case so much of the time. People, regardless of whatever theology they hold, tend to be somewhat fearful of death. And I'm just wondering if you find in in Buddhist communities that that you that, that that same fear is there, or do you do you see that people really take what Buddhism says about death to heart and drop that fear? I think uh, the fear of death is something we all practice with. So it might be the fear of our loved ones dying and uh, uh, somehow that we, we lose them, we lose their physical presence. And of course, fear of our own death, of what will become of us. And the, the art of living is a wonderful exploration of this fear, looking much more deeply into it to really ask ourselves, first of all, the question, what does it mean to be alive? And last week, um, my brother spoke about the, the teaching on signlessness. To be alive means that we are continued in every single act, the way we think, what we say, what we do, and our actions sort of radiate out into the world. So we're much vaster, in fact, than just this physical body. And in the art of living, for the first time, Tai speaks about eight different bodies that we have. And so the practice to overcome the fear of death is to train ourselves to see the presence of those eight bodies in our daily life. So, for example, how we are continued in our physical actions, what we have done in our youth, what, how we have helped people that we love, how we put, invest our vitality and our life energy, that continues us across space and time. And our teacher really emphasizes that this physical body is just a small part of who we are. And it's the same with our, our parents or our children, for those of us who have children, that we, in our own lifetime, we continue our parents and our children continue us. So to overcome the fear of death, we have to be able to see the ways in which we are continuing even the dreams of our parents. And how our children may be able to continue the dreams we have not yet realized. And that allows us to um, uh, release uh, our sense of um, uh, fear and attachment around this particular physical body um, and the sign, the, the, the image that we are only this body. And I think if there's one big gift in this book, it's to help break through that idea to really see ourselves as being much, much vaster. So in my own life, I'm happy to share that uh, I have uh, benefited a lot from this contemplation on uh, seeing myself as something more than my body, but also seeing, for example, my parents or my grandparents as being continued in me. And uh, 
recently my father has been uh, very sick and uh, it has been so helpful to see the ways in which uh, I am continuing him and that he continues with all the actions and uh, um, visions, dreams that he has had in his own lifetime, some of which I've been able to continue and others of which I see uh, <laughs> throughout space and time continuing him. So um, this meditation on signlessness is something we can apply to ourselves, but also to our loved ones. And we can help them to see it too, to help them feel at peace. Um, and also it's a very helpful practice because it also inspires us to do something about those acts we are not so proud of. Perhaps there's something we said, there's a relationship that is not in a good condition. And when we can really recognize that, we do everything we can right away to heal that. And that's been my father's own experience. And so he's invested much more time in healing those relationships that um, have not been in such a good place. So uh, this is uh, this teaching on signlessness and continuation can prepare us uh, also to pass away peacefully and give us hope and confidence in the future. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Common Threads on WGVU-FM. I'm Fred Stella. And with me today is Sister Dedication. She is a nun and a Dharma teacher with the Unified Buddhist Church and also a disciple of Thich Nhat Hanh. And we're discussing his book today, The Art of Living. Uh, continuing on, Sister, with the, the idea of afterlife. Now, I would say that if you go up to a hundred people who know anything about Buddhism, even if it's just stuff they see on television, probably a hundred out of a hundred or 99 out of a hundred are going to say, oh yeah, Buddhism believes in reincarnation, in a literal understanding of the soul moving out of one body at death and taking residence in another. Um, and uh, in, in the book, uh, Tai explains that, no, that's not really meant to be taken literally. Uh, and I'm just curious how wide that understanding is in the worldwide Buddhist community. Uh, for instance, would you say that uh, Thich Nhat Hanh would disagree with the understanding that Tibetans Buddhists have had for centuries when they seek the current Dalai Lama, if one Dalai Lama passes away and then they start seeking the new Dalai Lama shortly after that and they find small children and they give them tests and if they pass the test, meaning that they are, they are uh, automatically are attracted to certain articles uh, such as a pair of glasses or a pen or something of the last Dalai Lama, then they consider that proof that this child is in fact the reincarnation of the last Dalai Lama. So I'm I'm just wondering, I mean, if it's an honest disagreement of how the world works, that's that's fine. I'm just curious if 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 that is the case, that yes, you just disagree with the Tibetan school and you would say that, no, reincarnation does not take place in, in that way, that it, it's more um, uh, more of an analogy. Mm. 
I think one thing we can say about Buddhism, it's a wonderfully uh, diverse uh, uh, spiritual tradition that has also adapted itself into every environment where it has gone. And as many of your listeners, I'm sure, are aware, you know, Buddhism began and, and manifested, first of all, in India. And at the time in India, there were many different kinds of uh, spiritual beliefs, that some of which found their way uh, into Buddhist teachings. And, and so Buddhism has always arose in a certain context. But one um, of our teacher's great contributions is that he has gone back to the source of Buddhism, to those original teachings, in order to really draw out those key elements that are there, also in order to sort of refresh, renew Buddhism and really bring it, um, bring out its full depth and revealing the ways in which it's completely in harmony and in line with our scientific understanding of our time as well. And one of those teachings that our, our teacher has uh, uh, clarified is about this aspect of uh, reincarnation. And I think what's very helpful about this is that when we understand this sense of not having a separate self-entity, then there's a natural continu uh, continuity, uh, continuation of that, that there's no um, soul that can exist outside our body. And um, so this our teacher has made very clear, especially in the last uh, few years of his teaching, that it doesn't mean that we... Um, there is not continuation. And he, uh, in his book, The Art of Living, he is that uh, goes to great uh, lengths to explain all the ways in which we continue. We are a re-manifestation, if you like, not so much a reincarnation, but a re-manifestation of our ancestors, and our descendants also re-manifest us. Um, just like the cloud is re-manifested in rain, and the rain is re-manifested in the river and in the ocean, there is continuity. Nothing can be created, nothing can be destroyed. So this is a very helpful message, and it's entirely in line with modern science. There is a subchapter in the book called Resting in God, and when I first saw that, it uh, I cocked an eyebrow or two because I thought, now, a book on Buddhism, they usually don't use the G word, as uh, I sometimes refer to it. Um, and then reading this, it, it seems like it is okay. The book sort of gives permission to use the word God with a capital G in certain contexts. And clearly, uh, it's, it's, uh, we're, we're not talking about the Judeo-Christian concept of capital G-O-D. What, in what context would you be comfortable using the word God? Mm. Our teacher uh, liked to say that when we practice walking meditation, we walk in the kingdom of God. There's a sense that the sacred, the ultimate dimension is available to each one of us, and we don't need to die to go to heaven. But this place where we live, this beautiful earth, is already heavenly. And uh, one of our insights that our teacher was very excited to have was we have to put God in the right place. We have to put God in the world around us. As you may know, he had many wonderful friendships with uh, Christian mystics, including Thomas Merton and many others. So, and living for more than uh, 50 years in the West, I learned to find ways to speak to um, the kind of spirituality that we are familiar with. And uh, his interest in teaching here in, in the West was not to 
convert people to Buddhism. We need to come. He invited us all to come back to our spiritual traditions and to to touch the depth that is there. Um, so just as uh, Saint Francis was able to see uh, the almond tree burst into bloom, to see God, to see the sacred in the almond tree. So us, with our energy of mindfulness, with our daily practice, we are learning to touch uh, what we call the ultimate dimension, the sacred in in every moment of our life, no matter what we are doing or where we are walking. And so this is also to... Um, uh, so for us, the word God is describing what we would call the ultimate dimension, the deepest uh, level of reality. Uh, there's some sometimes a misunderstanding that somehow we we worship the Buddha and um, that the Buddha is a kind of God, but it's it's not the case. The Buddha is the our original teacher, if you like, 2,500 years ago. He was a human being who who found a way to uh, touch the true nature of reality. And so he is our original teacher. Um, but when we talk about touching the ultimate dimension, that is when we would use uh, what you call the G word. <laughs> and um, we only have a few minutes left, but if you could answer this briefly as something that is brought up in the book, Art of Living, what is the action of non-action? <laughs> action of non-action. Our teacher is a wonderful example of the action of non-action. Uh, I had the opportunity to be his attendant, which means we uh, we walk alongside him as he's going about his uh, daily business, as it were. And uh, I had the impression that as he was walking, he wasn't moving. It seemed that he was stopping in every step, and yet he seemed to be moving quite fast, and I had trouble keeping up with him because I was trying to... Uh, follow exactly his way of walking. So there's a quality of his being, a quality of his energy of peace, where there's, it's not about action, it's not about doing, but it's about our very way of being. And I think in his own life, uh, Tishan Han, Thai, our teacher, was a wonderful master of being very active, but without being lost in the action, without losing himself in what he was doing. But in every gesture, in every step, there was the quality of peace, of arrival, of arriving home, of being completely settled, completely free and at peace. And this is what the a kind of experience that we, we try to offer everyone who comes to our practice centers, the chance to arrive in every step, to feel at home in our body, at home on this earth, arrived into our life to really feel fully in the present moment and that kind of quality of being is action it is bringing something to the world that i think we are missing <laughs> we're so busy trying to fix the world we're so busy doing so busy doing that we are not really living and i think if there's one core message to this book the art of living we have to really cultivate our way of being and the energy of mindfulness, the practices of mindfulness, the kind of peace that uh, our teacher is inviting us to recognize is available to us, when we can touch that peace, then we are really uh, improving the quality of our being, including improving the quality of our living, and we can say that we are truly alive. We're not missing out on life. Life is not passing us by. And so if we have a 
change in our life if our if our only action is to improve our quality of being. That's already a great contribution to the world, to world peace, to harmony, and to well-being. Well, Sister, it has been wonderful having you here today. We're out of time now, but uh, we, we so appreciate uh, your insights. Thank you so much for having us, Fred. It's been a, a real honor. You've been listening to Common Threads here on WGVU. Uh, Today, our guest was a woman who has taken the monastic name of Sister Dedication. She is a Dharma teacher with the Unified Buddhist Church. We've been speaking to her in France, where she resides in a monastery. The book we're talking about today, The Art of Living, uh, which is by Thich Nhat Hanh, the teacher of Sister Dedication. And we invite you to join us again next week here on Common Threads. This is WGVU. Common Threads is a production of WGVU in cooperation with the Interfaith Dialogue Association. The views and opinions expressed are not necessarily those of the station, its underwriters, or Grand Valley State University. In many cases, the participants on this program represent themselves and may not be designated spokespeople for the faiths they represent. Send questions and comments by email through our website, www.interfaithdialogueassociation.org. Thank you for listening and join us again next week for another edition of Common Threads.